0: Now, if you've been following the news, you know that a few days ago, uh, the golf uh, superstar Tiger Woods was driving towards the Riviera Country Club in West Los Angeles uh, in California. And as he was on his way there to attend uh, a photo shoot organized by his sponsors, that's what he went to do, Mr. Woods, about 7.12 a.m., his car crashed. Uh, on Hawthorne Boulevard in the Palos Verdes Peninsula, south of Los Angeles. So he didn't make his appointment. It appears Mr. Wood's car picked up great speed as he was heading downhill at one of the roads, and he lost complete control of the car. Uh, His car hit the central reservation and started rolling several times. And as he sort of uh, careened across the road, uh, it ran through trees and down the embankment. It just missed a telephone pole. Just, just missed that. Uh, but It was a terrible accident. The, the ambulance arrived six minutes later. Good response. Uh, they cut Mr Woods from the car with an axe. Uh, they found him fully conscious. And he was not drink driving. But he had severe injuries to his lower body. And so they quickly whisked him off to the hospital and inserted metal rods in his legs, that sort of thing. He has survived, but the life of Tiger Woods will never be the same. Uh, In fact, this is his third accident. Uh, The Lord has preserved him, and he's tended to go back to play golf. But it's unlikely on this occasion he will lift another golf trophy again, let alone play competitively. The accident, as I thought about the life of Tiger Woods, particularly the way this particular accident happened, it reminded me that all of life is really, we are not in charge. Life is very fragile. It's uncertain. It's unsafe. Unpredictable. We live in a dangerous world, as we've been reminding ourselves as we've been going through these sums of ascent. We face many threats to our life. Not even the richest people among us are immune to these dangers. Uh, Young people don't think that one day you maybe you work very hard, you you get a lot of money, and then you be safer and live longer. It doesn't work like that. Why is the world full of dangers, toils, and snares for all of us? The Bible tells us it's like that. Of course, because even though God made the world perfect. We rebelled against God. And so since sin entered the world, uh, in the Garden of Eden, we have been living in a world of sin, a world of pain, and a world of terrible, terrible suffering. And as we meet here this morning, you might say, of course, we know that already. We look around and we see, of course, the whole terrible things happening with COVID-19. And you think, well, we already know that. I, I, I already know that. But I think we need to be reminded of this truth, for two reasons, I think. Well, we need to be reminded that the world is fragile. Well, first, to help us avoid the danger of living like the world is not fragile. To help us avoid that danger. You see, many people seem genuinely surprised when they experience suffering in their lives. Their first response Myself included. In fact, all of us seem up surprised when we suffer. We ask ourselves: the first question is, "Why am I suffering? What is happening to me? Where is God in all of this?" The answer, of course, is simple: Why we suffer? The answer is, "Why not us?" To be a fallen human being is to be fragile. Since Adam fell, that has been our lot. We are fallen human beings living in a fallen world full of pain and suffering. Sadly, because many of us live in the world which is fragile, like we like it is not fragile, right? We are often constantly looking to the world, isn't it, to give us the happiness that it cannot give us. One of the things that fragility helps us to to to, to recalibrate, once you realise really that you are living in a very painful and suffering world, is that you realise that the world is simply not enough. And so you stop, by God's mercy, looking to the world to satisfy you. The second reason we need to, rem- to, to be reminded of this because of that, because even though the world is fragile, we tend to live like the world is not fragile. That's one reason we need to be reminded of. The second reason I think we need to be reminded of is the reason we are looking at this psalm in Psalm 125. We need to be reminded that the world is fragile so that we can look to the only person who can protect us in the middle of fragility, in the middle of our fragile and uncertain life. And this person is the one true God of the Bible who has come to us in the person of Jesus. God is the only one who can protect us in this life because God made this world. He made us. You know, when a product is broken, you tend to look for the guarantee somewhere. you? You tend to look for somebody who made it to see if they can help with that. So when life is broken, we need to look to the one who made us. And this psalm is here to remind us of that. The one true God of the Bible who has come to us in Jesus. And as I said, this truth, of course, is in the entire Bible, but it's especially here in these two verses, which... Uh, which, which, which This Psalm 125, which forms part of the song, Songs of Ascent that we've been going through. And as I've been reminding you that these songs were collected to encourage the pilgrims in Israel on their dangerous journey to worship God in the ancient city of Jerusalem. And I would imagine as they sang and digested in their minds these songs, and especially these two verses, they found supreme comfort in the middle of danger. Look at those two verses. Look what they said to us. He says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. I think the key truth these two verses are trying to convey to us is simply this. It is, it is this. We must trust the Lord because he's our eternal protector. Who should we look to? Well, we should look to the Lord. Why should we look to the Lord? Well, we must look to the Lord because he's our eternal, and I would say reliable, protector. That's the truth this psalm um, uh, is teaching us. I just want to look at this truth today, just that point Uh, We only got one point today. Now, I wonder what you think is the safest place in the world. You just think of places that are the most safe in the world. Which place would you say, if I was in danger and I was in that place, I would be totally safe? Perhaps what's come to your mind is a powerful military place like the Pentagon, right? That's pretty safe. Or perhaps one of the nuclear bankers... In the UK, like the central government war headquarters in Kosham. a place like that, very safe. You know, in the world, world War times, it was Churchill's war room, isn't it? Down there. Very, very safe from the bombings. Well, in the ancient world, the safest place was one with natural defenses uh, that could act as a natural shield against invading foreign armies. And for a place or a city to be well defended, yeah, it had to be built on a mountain. It helped, right? We see that in medieval movies. If something's on a mountain, even crusader castles, I think of the crusader castle, uh, one of the crusader strongholds built by the Knights Templars. It was very high, elevated, well defended, places like that. So if it was on a mountain, any city or any castle on a mountain, very well defended. Because it could keep enemies out if they attacked it. Or, if it couldn't have that, if it was a city that had mountains surrounding it, that was also good. Because it means you could at least defend those mountains when defenders, when when attackers came to you. Well, the city of Jerusalem in the in the Bible, and even today, at both. It was built on Mount Zion, which is 2,500 feet above sea level. And it was also surrounded by other mountains. To the east of Jerusalem, there is the Mount of Olives. To the north, there is Mount Scopus. And to the west and the south, there are other hills that surround Jerusalem. So, if we ask the people of God in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, which place do you think is the safest in the world from danger? They would immediately have said the city of Jerusalem. Not simply because God protected the city, but just for the natural defenses around it. And so, as we come to Psalm 125 and look at these two verses, as a psalmist is searching for an illustration of the way God protects. Israel, the image of Jerusalem immediately suggests itself. It immediately comes to mind. It would have flashed in his mind. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist is saying, All oh, people of God are, safe, are as safe as Jerusalem because the Lord Protects them. God is their reliable and permanent defense. Look at this one. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Notice that. They are like a mountain surrounded by mountains. They are like Mount Zion which cannot be moved but abides forever. You know, mountains and hills in the Bible are symbols of immovable, permanent and Impregnable structures. They are, they are, they are symbols of, of, of stability. They remind us that there are things that are the toughest to crack, right? They endure. And the Bible is saying the people of God are safe like that. We are safe as we can be we, we, if we're trusting in the God of Israel, right? As we shall see in a the moment. They are like a mountain surrounded by mountains. They are safe within and safe from without. And they are not just safe now, they are safe forever. And of course, this immediately raises the question, isn't it? Who are the people of God? And the answer is in verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. It is those who trust in the Lord. The people of God are those who have a true relationship with the God of Israel, Yahweh, and the word of the name of God here is written in capital letters, isn't it? Because it's reminding us this is the name of God, Yahweh. It is the family name of God, we might say, right? <laughs> Between God and Israel, God is their Father; they are His people, and this is the name they use. It's a bit like those. Some of the names we have, um, the people who are most closest to us sometimes use names which no one else does, right? A granddad may use a special name, right? And when somebody else uses that name, right, you're like, I don't know you like that. What's going on, right? It just seems weird if another person uses it because only your granddad or your grandma may use that name or maybe your mom, your dad, Right, it's it's like, it's like with me and my mother. Uh, I'm I'm referred to not by my name, but by being the father of Abigail, and of course only my mommy and my my sisters in our family. Um, I said my mommy there, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I sound like Abigail now. So <laughs> only only people, my, my brothers and sisters, and my mother. Um, Uh, uses that name and if somebody else used that that would seem very very strange well it's the same with God Uh, Yahweh might be like we see the name Yahweh like almost like a secret password for the family It's, it's a name that God gave Israel as a special name for them to use for him and when the psalmist says here those who trust in the Lord is saying those who trust in our God, in our covenant God, the God of Moses, the God of, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Joseph, the God of Moses, the covenant-keeping God, the God of David. So the psalmist is saying to his people, our true God protects us. He is our loving, eternal protector. And the amazing thing, as we've been reminded, as we've been going through these psalms, is that the good news of the Bible is that the one and true God here, the Lord, has put on human skin in Jesus so that we who are outside the covenant promises could come and have a relationship with him. In Jesus, God has established a new covenant that is by faith and faith alone. So that True believing Jews and Gentiles can can become one in Christ. You see, the the key message of the Bible is that God the Son, Jesus, came to die on a shameful cross, right? To pay the price for your sins and mine. Right there on that Roman cross, our Lord Jesus Christ took on himself all the filth and rottenness of your sin and mine. Jesus suffered the infinite wrath of God that you and I deserve. He was crushed, the Bible says, for our iniquities. The holy wrath of God was poured on him, the wrath that you and I deserve. And by his death, Jesus has reconciled As to God, all who trust in him. His resurrection gives new protected life, right, in God, to all who trust in Jesus. All who have truly repented and turned to Jesus. They are are, are reconciled to God and they are now given new life by God. There are those now who trust in the Lord. And so if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you are now part of the new people of God. Your life is now safe in God forever. And Paul reminds us of this, isn't it? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, you can turn to that if you like. It's on page 984. He says this, If then you have been raised with Christ. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, when Jesus died, you died with him, and your life is now hidden in him. When he rose, you rose with him, right? And you have life in him. And he goes on to promise us, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you, are, you will also appear with him in glory. The point is that in Jesus, we said Christ, we read from, second, from Colossians chapter 2 that Jesus is in God. And here in chapter three of Colossians, we are told we are in Jesus. It's almost like a double protection we have. We are a We are like a mountain on a mountain, right? We are on Christ, surrounded by God, totally protected. You know, over the last year, we, 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 we have over this in recent months, we have heard much about shielding, haven't we? The vulnerable and uh, the most vulnerable among us have had to stay indoors, and I know one of, some of you have done that. And you've had to do that with little contact with the world um, for your safety. Uh, our Majesty's government could not protect you and others from the virus except to send letters to shield away, right? But now imagine if our Majesty's government had invented a protective shield so that the vulnerable can still have a normal life. Wherever they are, Right? They'll be as safe at home as they would be anywhere else. That would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, we wouldn't need lockdowns, right? Well, the Bible is saying, Jesus our God is protecting you in all of life like that. He is your never ending protective shield. The image of Jerusalem here, surrounded by mountains, is meant to get across to us that God's care for us is real and tangible it makes a real difference it's not abstract or theoretical when we repent our sin and trust in Jesus our true God it changes, it really does change our lives we become protected from within and from outside and at the fundamental level there is nothing in this world that compares to the safety you have as a child of God yes the world is fragile but your life in God Is secure. If you are in Jesus at the fundamental level, you can never be overthrown by other forces. You are as safe as you can be. You are enduring. You finish the race. God will welcome you into his eternal kingdom. That's reality. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Now, the Bible here is not saying you will not be attacked by sin. We've seen some 120 reminds us that there are those of attacks by, those, by the enemies of sin, right? There is also attack by, oh, by sin on our lives. We, we sin sometimes, the Bible tells us. So it's not saying that. It's not saying you're not going to be attacked by Satan. It's not saying you're not going to be attacked by the world. It's not saying that you're not suffer all kinds of suffering. The Bible never says that. It is saying, it doesn't say, you know, it doesn't say any of that. What it says here is that it's saying we cannot be moved. No matter what life throws at us, The Lord will keep us and protect us in the middle of those difficulties. The Bible does not say, no weapons will be formed against you. It doesn't say that. It says, no weapons formed against you will prosper. Don't miss that. Jesus has called us to suffer for him. 1 Peter 2, verse 20-22. to And we discussed we touched on that at our Thursday Bible study on Zoom. And as I noted then, those the more sometimes the more we get closer to Jesus actually, the more we the more we suffer. In the Bible, those who are most closest to God have endured the most difficult suffering. How do I know? Because Jesus is God the Son Himself, is as close to God as you can get because He's God. And no one suffered like Jesus suffered. His suffering was not only physical suffering. He took on all the suffering, the wrath and judgment of God that you deserve. So the more closer we get to God, the more we endure suffering even. The Apostle Paul would be another Example. But we do not need to be afraid or panic about that. Because this psalm is saying God is surrounding us if we are in Jesus. Those who trust in the Lord are double protected. They are like a mountain within a mountain. And what that tells us is that in the end, nothing will happen to you that is not permitted by Jesus. That's that's a fundamental point. If God is your protective shield, whatever happens to you is directly permitted by him. And if the Lord is permitting your current suffering, it is only because he loves you and knows this bitter pill of suffering is exactly what you need. And it is for your greater good. As a child of God, all your suffering is better than not suffering because the benefit that suffering brings to your life always outweighs the costs. In economics, we say that the the result of your suffering always has a benefit-cost ratio greater than one. And I would say infinite benefit-cost ratio. The benefits of your current bitter pill, in the end, outweighs any costs your experience. That's what Paul told us in Second Corinthians chapter 4. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have a big testimony immediately after you suffer, like you're going to come back to the church and tell us just all the wonderful things the Lord has done as a result of your suffering. I'm not saying that. I am saying, on that great day, when you see the Savior face to face, you will be able to look him in the face and say, Lord Jesus, it was all worth it. You did all things well for me. So, 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 so that is one reason why we must look to the Lord in the middle of suffering. The other reason the suffering, by the way, we experience under the protective shield of Christ is always a blessing for us. is because all our sufferings are for him. The true Christian always suffers for Christ in the ultimate sense because all our sufferings are meant to make us more like our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is true even when we are suffering as a result of our rebellion against God. Because what the devil meant for evil and our human nature succumbed to, God always uses it for our good. Isn't that what we lent in the life of Samson and Jephthah and others? God always wins. And for our good. And this truth, beloved, that God is your protective shield does not mean now that you should tempt God with recklessness. Let no one hear me this morning and say, okay, Pastor, I said, even God, God he can even use my failures, my sin to... Protect me through it. And therefore just sin more so that grace may abound. That's recklessness that is foolishness. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. God is your protective shield even against bad right? But let us not ask foolish questions. Does that mean we don't have to shield from COVID? It is out of foolishness we ask that. Because God has given us sense to take all precautions. Does that mean I don't have to study for my exams since God will protect my future? No! That is tempting God. Do your work and God is doing His. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. What this passage is teaching us is that because the Lord is protecting us forever, We must not put our trust in us, in whatever things we are doing. We must trust him alone. Look at this one again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. You know, the word trust here in the original language literally means to hang upon. To hang upon. It's a bit like putting our clothes on a coat hanger or a hook. Those who put themselves on a hanger for God, you might say those people who hang upon God—that—that's what trusting God looks like. It's such a lovely picture of what faith, isn't it? Is it is hanging upon the Lord. We let go of everything else. When you put your jacket on a, on a coat hanger, you are ruining out all the coat hangers, aren't you? You're just putting it on that. That's what faith is. That's the faith. That's the picture of trusting. Here is. It is letting go of trusting everything else and just putting our confidence in this God who holds us in life. Not gaming with God, you know, half in, half out, you know, totally on God. And notice, it is an active position that the psalmist is talking about. We continue to hang upon God. Those who are hanging upon God, not on and off, but continuously, we keep on trusting in on the Lord Jesus. It is those who trust in the Lord, not those who trust it. it is in the present tense. Because salvation and trust and relationship with God is always in the present tense. What the Bible is saying is, don't take your eyes off God. You are not feeling surrounded by God right now, yes. You are feeling vulnerable. You are feeling anxious. You are feeling insecure. Yes, you are worrying about your exams. Your health worries you. Or the health of your loved ones. You can't stop thinking about your finances. You are fearing you're going to be single forever. You're worried about friends distancing themselves from you. The Lord knows all of that. And so he has has brought you here this morning. And opened this psalm for you. Psalm 125. And he's saying to you from Psalm 125. You have nothing to worry about. I am caring for you. Not just for you, but also for the people you care about because I am here with you. Remember that I control all that happens in your life. And if I have allowed you to struggle in any particular area recently, it's only because I love you. It's only because I want, I want to be your ultimate security. I want you not to lean on those things, but to lean on me, to hang upon me. Put your ultimate trust in me to care for you. Not yourself, not in human beings, not in this church, not in the government. Trust me. I am your security and protector. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So how do we do this in practice? The psalmist is calling us to trust in God, so how do we do it? Well, in a meeting like this, we are all on different points in our trusting of Jesus, aren't we? All of us. No one here is the same. We are all on different points in our lives On on trusting Jesus in this fragile world. Some of us here, the first thing we need to do as we hear this psalm um, is just to examine our lives. We've never really paused to consider perhaps this question of our fragility. And so we need to, we've been living like the world is just going to go on forever, right? <laughs> or the world is just, we, we see some self, but we never think about how we live and we were trusted. And so what we need to do is to just pause now, identify areas of our human life where we are prone to feel fragile. Or insecure about life? What are you currently anxious of? Why are you feeling threatened? What issues are always on your mind? What are you most afraid of losing? Spend time to ask yourself that. Do a bit of self-examination. We've been encouraging of that when we've been doing the Bible study. Well, do that this afternoon. And most importantly, as you ask yourself those questions... Ask yourself this. What am I doing with my sense of fragility? Who or what am I looking for, looking to for safety? Where am I placing my hope? Is it in the world? Is it in yourself? Or is it in the Lord? So do that. And honestly ask the Lord to help you examine yourself in that area. Some of us need to start there. Before we even get to the other stuff. And can I just suggest, don't do this alone only. Ask a brother or sister to help you with a self-examination. Because you know we are sinners who hide from ourselves. If you want to take this word of God seriously, I say you take it seriously by asking someone to speak seriously in your life about it. Ask someone to tell you the truth you don't want to hear. Get an honest opinion from a brother or sister in the church. That's what some of us need to do here. Some of us here already know we are trusting ourselves. We've had, and yeah, we can think of areas we're trusting. We know we are trying to build mountains of self-support rather than relying on the protection of the Lord. You know what these mountains are. You don't need me to go through them. There may be mountains of material blessings, talents, abilities, knowledge... Good things that the Lord has given you. There may be mountains of relationships, people in your life, family, friends, relationships, even church or government. All of some of them are very good things. But we have a tendency to turn these blessings God has given us into mountains, places of reliance. Rather than resting in the mountain of the Lord himself. You know that instead of trusting the Lord, you, you're truly liable and eternal mountain. You are prone to trust things that cannot protect you. And I just want to say the Lord loves you too much to simply let you carry on like that. If you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus, if you are born again, the Lord will not let you carry on relying on yourself. He will invite difficult situations in our lives to turn us to look to Him. And, and so, I, in fact, one of the reasons the Lord allows suffering is precisely that. To strip away everything so that we can only depend on Him. But don't wait for God's correction. Run to your Savior now. Hit the call of Psalm 125. Repent of any areas you are depending on yourself. Now, I know as we sit here, someone probably... He's trying to repent, (laughs) and he's asking, how can I truly know that I'm repenting of self-reliance? What does that that look like? I think repentance is shown by what we do. So one way we show we've truly repented is by seeking opportunities for us to rely on God. If you want to show that you've repented of self-reliance, seek opportunities for you to grow, (laughs) to demonstrate, or to put on some spiritual muscles in the area of relying on God. One example may may look like this. Are you worried you are becoming too obsessed with your money? Are you worried about it? I say, I don't have enough. What are you talking about? (laughs) I "I don't have enough. But are you worried that perhaps money is always on your mind? Can I suggest that you ask God to help you give even more away? That sounds counterintuitive, isn't it? I'm struggling. Why are you telling me to give more? But I think giving, for example, helps us just remind ourselves that in the middle of what difficulties we're facing, we're not depending on us. Are you worried that your child, perhaps, faces an uncertain future in this world? And are you a person, perhaps, that may have become too clingy with your children? Can I suggest that you demonstrate, perhaps, give a bit more freedom to your children than you're allowing them at present? Allow them to visit some relatives. How about that? Just trust in God with them. Appropriately. That's just one example. Or allow him uh, or her to visit. Just depend on God for a day. To keep your child. That's just an example. Do you see? What we're doing in all of these things is that we're not being reckless. What I'm suggesting is that you ask the Lord to help you first your fears, areas you are prone to worry about. Because remember, our actions always reveal our core beliefs and confidence. So ask the Lord to help you act in real and tangible ways in trusting Him. And we have every reason to trust in Jesus. Why? Because these verses have reminded us, not only that the Lord cares for us, they have reminded us that Just how lovely our Lord Jesus Christ is. The fact that he is protecting me. A sinner. I don't know about you. But that loudly rings in my ears. That I worship a wonderful God. A wonderful savior. I do not deserve my Lord protecting me. Would you spend even one minute, beloved to care for someone who got out of a knife and stabbed you right in your chest? Would you do that? No one would pay you enough to do it. Now imagine a person who tries to kill you, not once, but they are always trying to kill you. Every time you do something good to them. Imagine that. You don't need to imagine. Because the killer is us. We have not just stopped Jesus in His divine chest once by nailing Him to the cross. Our sins willfully crush Him all over again. And yet by His mercy, our Lord Jesus never stops protecting us, because His blood, you see, on that cross. Is our eternal shield against the holy vengeance of our God. Isn't that the amazing thing in the scriptures? Is that Jesus doesn't just protect us from external fragility, Jesus protects us from the vengeance of God Himself. That's the loveliness of our Savior. You're only in Christ because His blood avails for you. So how can I not trust such a wonderful Savior? I must surrender wholeheartedly to Him. And at that point, I am speaking especially for those who have not truly surrendered to Jesus. You know, you haven't reached that point of truly repenting of your sin and turning to Jesus. Are you reluctant to surrender to Jesus because you think being a follower of Jesus means... You are under some sort of leash with no joy or peace or freedom? I think that's what you are saying. You see, by you refusing to surrender to Jesus as your Lord, you are saying you believe God surrounding you is a terror to you rather than a comfort. Oh, friends, the psalmist would not have written, The Lord surrounds his people, if being with Jesus is like being locked. In a prison run by King John Han. No dear friends. Jesus is God offering to surround you with his love. His embrace is warm and tender. He wants to lovingly protect you. Friends, it is the devil that wants to destroy you. He only comes to kill and destroy but our Lord has come so that to give you life to give you himself to be your peace in this fragile and broken world. The Lord has come to be your protector not just in this life but in the world to come, a world without human fragility and brokenness. Because you see Mount Zion in the Old Testament was not just an illustration, it was also a promise it was a promise of a great future in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a promise of the new heavens and the new earth that are coming. is not what the Bible tells us in Revelation 22, verse 1 to 5. I'll end with this. John says this in Revelation 22, verse 1 to 5, on page 1041. He says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the land. And through the middle of the street of the city, another image of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed in this city. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be they will need no light to a lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. This is what the Lord is offering you right now. It is a life of eternal joy and peace. Not just being kept, but knowing you are being kept. That is peace, isn't it? So if you're not trusting in Jesus, grab this now. Come to Jesus. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Repent of your sin. Surrender your life to Him. And this moment, you will forgive your sin. You now become a child of God, a citizen of the New Jerusalem, the Church of the Living God. Right? And Jesus will surround you now and forever. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore. Amen.